Hello and welcome to my podcast, How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walger and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of How I Teach Golf. Um, really looking forward to catching up with this guy. A um, lot of changes in, in his... Um, in his journey and his path over the last few years, uh, from being out on tour to um, now being club professional, beautiful Ashburn Golf Club. So, Tom Davies, uh, Tom, how are we, sir? Danke, I'm very good indeed. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Really good to have you on. I know we've been uh, talking about getting you on for a little while now, so I'm really, really appreciate you finding some time in your diary to to come on the show no it's, it's fine i mean this is probably one of the first days off i've had in the last couple of months so um i, I really wanted to make sure that we kind of uh, you know scheduled it in where i had a little bit of time i didn't want to be pressured you know with bookings either side so yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks for your patience no no problem at all tom how did you get into the game of golf uh i guess a little bit by luck um when i was in school uh, I was always playing sport, very active lad, um, playing rugby, never played football as a kid. Um, where I come from, you, you don't really play football if you you, mm-hmm. you, you kind of play rugby, um, and that's about it. But, you know, we had a basketball team in school. Um, I played for the school rugby team, uh, my town's rugby team. Played a little bit of county rugby, I think, um, back in the day as well um, as a kid. But... Um, yeah, always active, always knocking around with a good group of lads um, around where I lived uh, in South Wales. And uh, one Christmas, they, a bunch of them got a, a membership of the golf Yeah, so uh, what, a bunch of the guys joined the golf club uh, for, for, as a Christmas present, like I said. And uh, it wasn't really until the summer um, that, you know, they started playing golf and it came to the summer holidays, you know, normally we'd be, you know, out playing rugby, you know, doing all sorts of things out, out on the bikes and, uh, they were just nowhere to be seen. And I was like, you know, what, <laughs> what the hell are these boys doing? You know, from eight in the morning until six in the night. Um, and, uh, you know, after chatting with them, they're like, oh, we're playing golf and, you know, we're playing two rounds a day. And I was like, oh, here we go. Um, I'm going to have to try golf here. So they kind of encouraged me to start playing. There was a couple of quite big kind of playing fields behind where we lived. Um, they were taking me up there. I was hitting a few balls there and it was, you know, seemed to be going okay. And uh, yeah, I was joined the golf club for my 14th birthday in, in August. And uh, yeah, it all, it all started from there, really. Completely fell in love with the game. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, you know, it even came to the point where, you know, I stopped playing you know, was playing golf on a Sunday afternoon and Sunday morning rather than going to play rugby. So, yeah, just com- completely took wow. over my life. It was great. And what about what about the other guys? How many of you in a group was there? Was there two or three or was there like six well, or seven? Well, the lads who, who lived around me, um, there was probably maybe four or five of us. And uh, I think three okay. of them uh, joined the golf club. But when we was up in the golf club, then there was there was quite a big group. All all I'm still friends with now and still stay in contact with, you know. Um, oh, and there was pro- probably good, you know, ten or twelve of us in in a junior team, and we we're all pretty close, you know. So I still see them now, to be honest. And it's it's good catch up over Christmas. And yes, uh, it's it's amazing how kind of you know golf is, you know, it's not just it's not just a sport. You know, you pick up friends and you know friends for life, and it's, it's awesome. Any of them turn pro as well, or do no? They... they they all they all say you know when I see them they're all like oh you know I should have stuck at it you know and I could have been on tour and oh, all right whatever. <laughs> but they're, they're all they're all good golfers to be fair. I think probably the highest the highest handicapper is about eight, and he's probably the most talented out of all. Maybe even all of us, including me. Um, yeah. But he just he barely plays now, and you know he's he's out on the lash all the time, and he's he's a, he's a hell of a boy to be fair. He's the most talented, but the least disciplined. <laughs> Sometimes goes exactly, down, but he's had a bloody great time over the last ten years, I tell you. <laughs> so, did you play any county golf, or did you just go from uh, being an amateur straight into the professional ranks, or? Did you do a bit of it, bit in between? What was your, what was your? Plan? No, I didn't really play any count. Well, I, pl- I played in a few county competitions um, and a few tournaments, but I didn't really represent the county. Um, I think because I started so late, it just took me so long 
to get down to a decent standard. I kind of missed all of junior golf, if you like. I think I think when I was 16, yeah. um, you know, I was still off maybe eight or nine. So, you know, it's, it's not great, <laughs> you know, when you, you know, the, the, the lads back then, I'm trying to think, you know, they would have been off scratch plus one, you know, the boys in the team. Um, so yeah. I had absolutely no chance of competing with them, really. They were, they were so much better than me. And it, it wasn't really until... I kind of turned, I turned pro, started the PGA training off four handicap. Um, and I really started uh-huh. to develop my game quite well after that, really. It's, and, and to be honest with you, I still had no ambitions of really playing full time. Um, but, but after a couple of years, I, I did become, I wouldn't say good. And especially having worked on tour, I definitely wouldn't call myself good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I thought I was pretty yeah. good. Um, but, you know, it was, I, I was kind of a late developer, if you like. Um, and I, okay. I did start earning a few quid, you know, playing in t- tournaments, picking up a few checks, you know, in pro-ams. And, you know, there was a, yeah. there was a mini tour around where I live um, called the Dragon Tour back in the day. Uh, it turned into the Celtic uh-huh. Pro Tour. I done quite well on there. I remember having a bit of a battle with Stuart Manley in one of the tournaments there, which was quite good. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, playing career really wasn't, um, never really took off. <laughs> so were you doing anything before PGA or did you because you were, you mentioned you were 15 or 16 um, and you're off about 8 yeah. or 9 so how did you get down to 4 did you did you work at a golf club or did you did you have another career what was yeah it? I when I was well I left school when I was 15 my birthday uh, like I said earlier is in August so um, you know I, I literally finished all of my exams when I was 15 left school no intentions yeah. of going back to be honest with you, I'm not that much of a, an academic. I don't really like doing assignments. I don't like the whole, um, you know, education side of things, um, especially in a classroom kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, left. Much more hands-on. Very much more hands-on, yeah. So um, I really didn't know what to do. And um, my dad was working in an engineering company. Um, he got me uh, an apprenticeship, an engineering apprenticeship. Um, which I started. Okay. I had no idea what engineering was. Um, literally, like no idea. Um, you know, if it was the, this this day and age, I probably would have day one. I would have had to Google it, kind of thing. When I'm in the classroom, do do my <laughs> first class, kind of thing. You know. Um, but I I done the apprenticeship pretty much, um, and then you know it came to the point where I was you know good enough or had a good enough handicap to even consider having a career in golf. I still loved golf. I still played literally every minute I wasn't working. Um, and yeah, decided to quit my apprenticeship and uh, become a golf pro, which strangely enough, what my dad wasn't a fan of. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I literally got booted out of the house, you know. Um, you know, my mum and dad were arguing. My mum was on my side. My dad really wasn't. He wanted me to... Yeah. you know, continue doing this engineering thing and, you know, create a career, nine till five job, really stable. And I was just having none of it. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite stubborn or at least people tell, people tell me I'm stubborn anyway. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that, that was it really quit that. And, um, yeah, straight into uh, a pro shop. So what, um, what type of engineering were you doing? Uh, mechanical engineering. So, um, I was, during my apprenticeship, I was pretty much on the machines, uh, on milling machines, on the lathes. Uh, there was all sorts of other machines, which I can't even remember either. But um, but that must have come in really handy later on with which we get into it, with regards to being hands on and being able to basically fix things or mill things or change things around. Yeah, by putting them on a machine sorry for my really amateur <laughs> 36 handicap no 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 but but you know it's um it, it has come in very very handy because you know when, when when you're looking at some of the the equipment these days you know and let's say you look at a cobra driver and it's got um you know a cnc milled face or you know um you know, you look at a Vokey wedge and it's got a milled face. You know, I'm looking at those uh, those faces and I'm thinking, you know, what tools have they used on the milling machine, uh, you know, uh-huh. to create those rather than kind of, you know, what is what does a milled face mean? <laughs> you know, I can, yep. in my mind, I can literally see that, um, you know, that, that piece of metal on the machine kind of being manufactured. 
Um, so, wow. so it's it's definitely you know coming very very handy, and it, it it's been a complete. Um, yeah, it's all been by chance, really, and I've been quite lucky. And then, so you did, you, you've quit your engineering and you've gone into the into the pro shop. Was it a pretty smooth ride getting your PGA exams out of the way, as it were? Um, yeah, yeah, I would say. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely daft, um, but I when it comes to kind of like assignments and stuff, I just leave everything until yeah. like last minute, you know, don't really put as much effort into things as, um, as I should have. And I think if I could turn back the clocks now, I, pro- I definitely would have put more effort into my PGA training. I think I came out with a merit overall. Um, okay. But it was literally kind of, you know, driving up to the Belfry on the last day that my assignments were due in, you know, to hand them in up all night the night yeah. before. You know, I'm doing the exams. I'm looking at the rule book the night before my rules exam. You know, I, I, I even, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not kidding you, right? Um, I, I even remember going into uh, my residential uh, at the Belfry, uh, which was my equipment technology residential uh, course. And uh, the equipment technology exam was during the, uh, the residential course. And I, I'd no, right. I had no idea about it. So everyone was turning, everyone was turning up, you know, with their toolboxes and, you know, their everything prepared and all their tools. And I'm like, bloody hell, boys, what, you know, what, what are you doing here? You're, you're, you're a bit keen. Um, and, and they were like, oh, we've got an exam today. And I'm like, oh, great. Fantastic. Can I borrow your screws? Yeah. Time? So I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, the PGA training was easy, but, you know, I, I got through it okay. Um, but I, I definitely wish I had you know, prepared a little bit more for it and, you know, come out with better marks, I guess. It w- I, I don't think it would have made much of a difference to my career path, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I definitely regret it a little bit. Okay. Mm. And then, so you did your, your your PGA training and then what did you do after that? Um, well, I completed my PGA training and um, doing my training, I, I played a tremendous amount of golf. I, I was doing my training with a bunch of lads who were very, very keen, um, you know, playing-wise. Uh, they were playing in tournaments all the time, you know, picking up decent checks. And, you know, it kind of encouraged me to play a little bit more. And I really, really came on quite well. Um, my golf game developed quite a lot during my PJ training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started shooting some good scores. Um, I decided to have a kind of a little bash of playing, I guess. Um, so directly after I qualified, um, I didn't really do much in terms of you know, going to get a head pros job or, you know, going to get an official role with the golf club that I was at. I was kind of reducing my hours, trying to play as much as I can. And um, I even went to Asian Tour Q school, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I went there. Um, I think I got through, I can't even remember. I think I got through first stage or the cut of one of the stages. I don't know. Um, but didn't get the card anyway. And looking back, I was just nowhere near good enough, you know. Very okay. naive, didn't really understand what it was all about and what what it required, you know. Um, but I do, I, I do I think, think it's nice to know if that makes sense. It, it is, and I'm glad I'm glad I've done it. Um, but kind of having worked a little bit on tour, and it's not just European tour, you know. Part of the role when I was working with TaylorMade, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a bit, yeah. but you know, we was covering we're covering all sorts of different tours, so we'd be European tour doing a little bit on the PGA Tour, some of the majors, you know, Sunshine Tour, Asian Tour. And having seen some of the kind of Asian Tour players and the guys who were kind of leading the order of merits and, you know, the guys who were just about making their card on the Asian Tour, you know, looking back, I was just dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally dreaming. And even if I had a couple of good weeks there and, you know, got my card, there was no way I would have, you know, kept it or even, you know, earned any money. I would have just burned through even more money than than I did already, you know. So, yeah. um, but it, but like you said, it's, it is good to know, and I'm glad I've done it. So, what did you do from there? Because the first time we met, I think, or one of the first times we met, you were working for a launch monitor company. I was, um, but before that, I was actually a head pro. So oh. once once I decided and realised that um, I wasn't very good at playing um, and it would never really was going to go anywhere in the immediate future. Um, I, I would have probably needed another three or four years looking back on it now to even be in a situation, I think, where I could have 
had a chance of getting a card and keeping it, you know. Um, and I just wasn't in the situation to carry on not working and keep on playing. So yeah. I decided to, um, my local golf club where I started playing, didn't have a, um, a professional at the time. I just qualified. So I went to them and I said, look, you know, I can, I'm just qualified. I can provide a service for you. I can do a little bit of coaching. Um, I can even run the shop if you want me to. And uh, they agreed to it. There was no retainer at all. Um, and before I know it, you know, I've got a shop full of stock, you know, there's a huge amount of money in the, uh, of stock in the shop. I'm, I've got a full diary teaching, I'm doing fittings, I'm doing all sorts of different things. Um, and, and it kind of took off really in the play in, I, I didn't really play much from that point onwards. Um, and I was there for about three years, well, three, three years. And then I went on to work for, for Trackman, uh, that, that opportunity came up, yeah. um, I did really want to kind of push on with my career um, and I guess just put myself on a slightly different level to where I was. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really see myself being a sales rep again, though, um, you know, for uh, as a career. I didn't see myself doing that for a long time. Yeah. But, you know, working for a company which at the time was quite young. Um, I think Trackman was invented maybe 2005, 2006. I started working for them in 2011. I was the first full-time employee in the UK okay. um, for Trackman. And um, yeah, that was just a huge, huge learning curve for me for those couple of years. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. Pro probably the best career move I think I've ever done. Wow. And then you, so what, what, so the opportunity came up and then, so you were literally doing thousands of miles up and down the country. You going everywhere, weren't you, for them? Yeah, I was I was covering the whole of the UK. So I I, rem I remember sitting in. Um, I was living in Cardiff at the time. Um, I was renting an apartment there, and I remember sitting in my apartment on the Friday night, thinking I have been to every capital city in the whole of the UK this week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen about six clients and been to every company, uh, every country, um, and you know, went to pretty much every capital city. Wow. <laughs> And it, yeah, it was it was all over the shop, but it, it was it was brilliant. It, it was so good because it, it it taught me so much about being organised and organising my own travel. You know, if if you ever get the chance to work with Danish people, yeah. um, you know they are mega mega organised. Um, Emmanuel, oh, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. My boss, a track man. He's, you know, he, he's an amazing amazing guy, and I learned so much off him. You know, in terms of being organised and scheduling and reporting and. You know, it just gave me skills, really, which, you know, I'm still using now. It's, um, yeah, it was awesome. So would you have called him your first mentor as such? Um, Indirectly or directly? I Yeah, yeah, I, w I would say so. And, you know, I'm I'm not afraid to say that, you know, I, I, learned, I learned so much from him that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still I'm still very, very grateful to this day. And I would tell him to his face, you know, yeah. um, you know, so, some of the things that he does, um and you know the way in which he was kind of like uh dealing with me and like i said before the scheduling you know of our appointments you know if he scheduled a call um at 11 o'clock on a friday morning you know the, the phone is going at 11 o'clock on a friday morning yeah you know there's there's no there's no two ways about it and um you know i thought i was pretty organized before that but you know dealing with dealing with emmanuel he just took it to another level and yeah it's um class absolute class so then how did you make the transition from um trackman to tailor well it, it was quite interesting because prior to me getting the job with trackman um i actually went on an interview for a tour job with tailor made okay and um i was the final interview i got to the final interview it was out of about 200 and odd people um got to the last two three-day interview at the spanish open um, you know, in, I think it was El Prat Golf Club in Barcelona. Yeah. And during that interview, I seen two guys on the range with a track man. Another time I was looking into track man, looking into all of the numbers. And um, I thought, right, I'm going up to see these guys. There's still things I don't know. I want to ask them some questions. And I didn't really know who they were um, or what they were doing. And I started throwing a lot of questions um, at, uh, at the two guys. Uh, one of them happened to be Emmanuel. <laughs> um, and the other one was, uh, I think it was either Klaus or Frederick. Okay. And I, I, was, I was so amazed at the answers that were coming back. And they were so detailed. 
Um, you know, we were probably there for the best part of an hour just chatting. Um, and, and after that, uh, they kind of said there's going to be a role coming up uh, in the UK. I gave them my details. They got in touch with me when I got back. And uh, yeah, they offered me a job. Um, <laughs> but, you know, from there, then my kind of relationship with TaylorMade had already started during yeah. my time with Trackman. You know, I was going to the TaylorMade headquarters, you know, talking to the guys on tour at TaylorMade on a regular basis when I was going to the events. Um, so I kind of built up a relationship with them. But one of the reasons why I think I got employed by TaylorMade was uh, a guy called uh, Chris Trott. Yeah. Uh, do you know Do you know Trotty? Yes. Yeah. Um, he, he used to send me loads of emails about Trackman, just asking um, all sorts of different questions. I used to send him uh, emails about products and, you know, the TaylorMade products. So we kind of had a good relationship, a professional relationship there. And he sent me an email one day about a player in, I think it was New Zealand. I can't remember the name of the player. Um, that's just coming to my head, Mark Brown. Okay. And I, I sent him quite a detailed email back um, about what he was saying and the equipment. And I talked about the equipment a little bit as well. And uh, that email went down really, really well. And he kind of forwarded it to his boss. They were looking for someone. And um, yeah, they offered me a job. <laughs> wow. It was, it was literally down down to an email, um, which you know I could have quite easily responded to in a in a different manner, I guess. So then you went. So you've you've now left Trackman, gone to TaylorMade. How long were you with TaylorMade out on out on tour? Uh, I think four years, maybe four years, maybe just just over. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, trying to think. Yeah. It was yeah just over four years, I think. Some amazing experiences. Obviously, working for. You know, one of the biggest manufacturers, equipment manufacturers in the world. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, you know, it, it's definitely the hardest job I've ever done. Okay. Um, and kind of looking at that job from the outside, you know, it, it looks like a really glamorous lifestyle. Uh, you know, you're jetting off to all these different countries all around the world. One minute you're in Hong Kong, the next minute you're in the UK, then you're flying over to a major championship in the US. Um, but it's, it's it's a really, really tough job and especially tough on your kind of personal life as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the amount of birthdays and, you know, weddings, you know, I miss my nan's 100th birthday because of travel, you know. Yeah. And, you know, people really don't see that side of it. But on But on the other side then, you know, you, you get experiences, you know, which you, you just, you know, even now thinking of them, they just seem unreal, you know, like standing next to um, Jason Day, helping him with his equipment in the open. You know, he was world number one at the time. You know, it's the best golfer in the world, the biggest tournament in the world. And you're having an influence on, you know, how they set up their equipment for the week. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just incredible, really. <laughs> you know, uh, really, really incredible. So what made you make the change from um, being on tour with, with TaylorMade to starting up your own equipment technology company, Custom Fit? And then how did uh, you end up at Ashburn? Well, I got made redundant. Um, so in late 2017, uh, TaylorMade was still owned by Adidas. Yeah. And uh, as I'm sure a lot of people know, um, Adidas sold TaylorMade um, to I think a private equity company. Um, based in the US. Uh, I might have got that wrong, but um, they were sold out anyway. Yeah. And uh, they made some pretty huge changes because they, they went from, you know, uh, I can't remember what the size of the company was in dollars, but, you know, it dropped significantly when you take out, you know, all the Adidas side of it, the Adidas apparel, the footwear, um, you know, it dropped significantly. So they, they had to kind of uh, realign uh, the way they operate. Um, they also realigned uh, their marketing strategy, which meant, you know, that, you know, they, they didn't really need the, the personnel then to kind of chase the, the messages, which at the time was the number one driver, number one metalwoods on tour. And there was a whole bunch of us uh, across the globe, which got made redundant. Um, yeah. And that, that, that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. <laughs> so then you started up with a, uh... The, the custom fit company tool fit golf yep yep um i started that up uh i was in a little bit of limbo really because you know having been made redundant from tailor-made it was a really difficult time 
I mean, anybody who's been made redundant would know it's quite difficult, but even the manner in which it was, you know, the redundancy happened, um, which is the only way in which they could have done it, to be fair. You know, um, we were in a situation where, you know, we, we were seeing things which, you know, pretty much nobody else in the company um, could see. So, I mean, they had to, you know, make the redundancies and we had to walk out the door straight away. So, you know, I went from, being in the Open Championship, working with some of the best players in the world, to a week later, you know, not having a job, um, you know, the phone's not going, didn't have no responsibility about getting on a plane, and you know, it was it was quite a tough time. And I really, if I'm being honest, I didn't know what to do. Um, yeah. I, I had no idea. I even thought about getting out of golf completely. Um, but then, kind of, you know, reflecting on it, having a little bit of time, speaking to a few of my friends, you know, you build you build up you know, all of this experience, um, you know, working on tour, even, you know, even before that, you know, with Trackman and, uh, you know, being a head pro, you got so much experience, you know, in my, in my sector. Um, yeah. and you know, in the industry that I was like, it would be absolutely daft now to go and throw this away and, you know, um, go and do something else. So yeah, decided to start up uh, Torfit Golf, uh, which I'm still running now. Um, I started off doing it as a as a mobile kind of venture, and if I'm being really blunt, it just didn't work. <laughs> okay, you know my my ideas was you know that I could, you know, get accounts with all the different companies, you know, go to golf clubs, give the pros kind of a percentage of what I would take on the day if I worked with a player. Yeah, um, and and really target the good player who you know typically if they go for a custom fit with their pro they probably wouldn't be able to be serviced because you know their their options and the fitting carts just wouldn't really match you know what i would have and it just didn't work it was very difficult to to get accounts with companies to start off with um like so so difficult because i didn't have a premises you know they're very reluctant to give me accounts so for me to kind of prepare for a fitting it would you know i'd have to if i had a fitting on a wednesday i'd have to go and collect all the equipment from one of my pals on a tuesday or even two different guys um and then drop it off on a thursday so like one fitting ended up taking three days so it just it was never ever going to work so I kind of was even from early on i was on the lookout for a premises um yeah. in cardiff uh and swansea the premises are not that expensive um but you know, when you've not really got a solid client base, yeah, it's difficult to you know justify paying you know twenty twenty five thousand pound a year, you know, for a for a unit which you don't know if you if it's going to be used, you know. So, yeah. the job at Ashburnham came up, um, as I'm sure you know, it's it's an amazing golf course. Um, they're building a studio as as we speak right now. Awesome. Um, so I was like, you know, this just couldn't be more perfect. It's six miles from my house. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they get a tremendous amount of visitors there. It's a great golf course. If I need to get on the golf course, you know, with players, you know, the golf course is is amazing. Um, and they would really enjoy that. Good testing conditions. So it all kind of fell into place, really. Um, and, and here I am now, the head pro at Ashburnham Golf Club. I'm still running Torfit Golf. Um, that's what I'm going to kind of you know, do all my marketing through. Um, and yeah, finally kind of settled down, Dunk. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's been great to hear how, not by chance, I don't think the, the meeting, the, whether it was Emmanuel, Claude or Frederick at, uh, at El Pratt was by chance. Um, yeah. You were there for another reason and you, you know, you're curious and, so you went and found out about that and then, you know, you did a really good job at Trapman and that led you on to getting a really good post and doing a really good job at, at TaylorMade. And something always good was, you know, I was I was really pleased that you got the job at Ashburnham and I know you're going to do a tremendous job there. But what happened, so what is your role at Ashburnham? The head professional, so you do the all the teaching, it's your shop, uh, you got the studio yep. being built where you can do custom fitting. Is is is, is that correct? That that is correct. Um, I, I mean, the, the the job is as any other head professional would be. You know, you're responsible for for the coaching, for fitting, for providing, you know, really good uh, options for people when they come in the shop, uh, presenting the shop in a way which you know reflects 
the standard yeah. of the golf course as well. Um, so yeah, there's nothing really different with my role compared to you know most other mm-hmm. head pros. Um, I would probably say that you know from a teaching perspective, I have still been teaching for a long time. Even when I was working for TaylorMade, I was still doing a little bit of coaching on the side. It's something I've uh, I've always yep. enjoyed. Um, so so going back into doing a little bit more of that now um, has been something I've welcomed. Um, but I'm telling you, when when this studio is is built and um, you know my diary is open, I, I think you know the amount of teaching compared to fitting that I'm going to be doing is it, yes, it's it's going to be it's not going to be I'm not going to be doing much teaching compared to fitting anyway, uh-huh. which actually opens up a really good opportunity for my assistant. Yeah. You know, um, I haven't I haven't got an assistant yet, but um, you know the the assistant is going to have a serious opportunity there to you know, to do a lot of coaching, which is going to be awesome. So focusing in a little bit then on, if I'm allowed to say your speciality, which is custom fitting, I suppose you, with your engineering background, your, um, your knowledge of, you know, track man or launch monitors, and then working obviously out on tour with some of the best players in the world with all the equipment technology. Uh, what happens if someone what what happens in um if someone comes to book a, a fitting with yourself? How do they go about? What happens in the first five ten minutes? Or does do you send out like a, a questionnaire beforehand? What kind of happens, Tom? Um, well, I've I've got an online booking system, so someone books in. I mean, they would get in touch with me first, I guess, via email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You know, you get message from left, right, and centre these days, and it's actually it's actually quite difficult to keep up with. But I've got an online booking system. I push everyone towards that booking system, um, the same system as what you booked yeah. on Dunk, um, um, which I, I I think is quite good. Um, that was on Calendar, and- right? Is that what it's called? That's that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a. I find it very easy and straightforward. I, I literally control all of my diaries through that now. So if it's a meeting with a rep, if it's a call with someone, you know, I I just book it all on that. Um, and uh, yeah, it depends. It depends whether I've whether I've seen the player before, whether I know the player. If I don't know the player, um, you know, I'd probably book in a little bit more time, sit down, have a coffee, have a chat beforehand. And I guess the start of the session is very similar to the start of the session um, when you're coaching. You know, you want to know as much about that player as possible, know as much about their history uh, of playing the game, know as much, you know, about their coaching history as well. Yeah. You know, are they having lessons? Are they not having lessons? You know, what are they struggling with? Why are they there? You know, um, yeah, very similar to, to what you would do from a coaching perspective. And so then, let's say they're coming in for a set of let's say they're coming in for a set of irons. Um, yeah. Do you insist, or do you ask them to bring their original set, or? Yeah, yeah. I would always ask them to bring their original set um, because for for me, what I like to do is I like to kind of measure maybe not the whole set. I mean, it depends on the mm-hmm. player. Sometimes I will literally spec the whole set um, and just see where where we're at. Because sometimes, you know, you can you can be in a situation with a player where perhaps they're not hitting their irons very good, but they're hitting, you know, perhaps, let's say, a hybrid really good, or they love their wedge, or they love this yeah. certain club. And if, you, if you're measuring the whole bag, you know, it kind of gives you little clues on what they respond quite well to, what they, resp- they don't respond well to. So it does depend. Sometimes I'll, I'll be quite comprehensive in um, specking the whole bag. Um, in the back of the shop, I've set up like an open style um, workshop, which is really, really nice. I've got, you know, CPM machines. I've got rulers. I've got loft and line machine, loft and line machine for woods. Um, I've, I've pretty much set it up exactly the way uh, we had the, the kind of tour workshop um, in, in TaylorMade. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it really gets my juices yeah. flowing, to be honest. And I really, I really enjoy it. But I would definitely, you know, ask players to come along with their set, spec their set, and just, you know, try and dig into really why why that set is not performing, and um, try and establish if I can help them. Really. And then, do you have a process, or you know, go into the process a little bit of, let's just say you're getting into the irons and you've you, you've you've benchmarked their nine, seven iron, and five iron. Um, how yep. do you go about picking product for that player? So what are you looking at? Um, initially, I don't really think about the product too much. Um, what I what I kind of try and do is, 
I, I would very much start the session looking at it from a coaching perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be looking at their delivery numbers on TrackMan. Uh-huh. I'd be kind of having a, a rough look at their swing as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of coaching, you know, PGA Pro, you know, so it's, you know, I can look at things from a coaching perspective. And, you know, you can tell sometimes if, if somebody is, you know, they need, they need a lesson rather than they need a fit in. Yep. And I, I just, I just try and establish really whether a set of clubs can actually help that player. Um, a, a lot of the time, you know, they can, um, sometimes they can't. And, and I like being very honest with people um, and just telling them straight. And, and that's pretty much why I charge for fit ins as yeah. well. Um, I like taking, I like taking my time and I like being really honest with people. So, I, I, I don't like being in a situation where I feel like I need to sell set of clubs to earn any yeah. money. Um, I would much rather be honest with the player and, you know, charge them a little bit for the fit-in. And if it gets an hour into the fit-in and I say, look, you know, you're, you're really going to benefit more from lessons here. You know, your, your path is nine degrees to the left, as an example, mm. and you're trying, you're trying to hit a draw um, by, by buying a set of irons. It's just not going to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just try and establish really whether whether I can help the player, uh, see what their delivery pattern is, um, and then and then just try and piece it all together, you know, try and find out um, little clues of what they respond well to. I actually had a fit in yesterday with um, a local junior, Welsh international, um, and we, we kind of established that he doesn't really respond well to to heavy shafts. Mm-hmm. Um, anything over 110 grams starts to feel really heavy. You know, he tends to, to drop it kind of underplaying a little bit more. His path tends to go a little bit more from in to out um, on track man uh, when he goes heavier. Yeah. So, you know, we just started to kind of piece together things, um, get an idea of what works. And once, once I'm in that situation and I know, you know, right, this guy kind of responds well when he looks down at a club, you know, which has got a, quite a, a thin top line as an example. Yeah. Um, or they, they like looking down something which is offset. They're going to need the offset, you know, to, to help them, you know, just square up the spin axis a little bit. They respond well to a, a shaft in this kind of weight range. Yeah. Um, then you can kind of start to, you know, think about product, you know. But I, I just feel like, you know, a lot of the time, you know, in retail fitting, people jump the gun a little bit and go straight to the product, yeah. you know, and try and try and try and find something from from the testing. And I, I think you can, you can actually make the testing procedure quicker by going through that at the start of the session you know so would you say just i just picked up on you saying that that it when you added too much weight to the shaft option that he tended mm. to drop it under and then the, the part yeah. would go to the right or, or whatever we're saying from there do you yeah. find that as common so if someone's shaft is too heavy for them that that tends to be what happens or is that was it just purely with this person as it were um, I, th- I think everyone is different. Um, everyone is definitely different. I have seen that happening quite a few times. And um, I've seen that happening quite a lot with kind of some taller people as well. So if, if you think about it, right, when, when people get fitted and they get fitted into clubs which are longer, it, it typically kind of knocks the swing weight up yep. a little bit. Um, and if if they're not getting built with the swing weight in mind, you know, you could probably swing weight a, uh, let's say, a, a six iron uh, and a guy who's half an inch, three quarters of an inch or an inch over, you know, that swing weight can be fairly yeah. heavy depending on what shaft he's using. Um, so I was working with a guy uh, up in North Wales, actually, at Harlech Golf yep. Club. Um, I, I don't know if you know Gareth there, nope. who's uh, the head pro. Nope. I've only heard um, of the golf but, uh, club as well because Lawrence, Lawrence Farm were my first boss at Moor Park. That was Lawrence's like favourite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really, really. Uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a golf course, and they've got a hell of a facility there. And um, Gareth's a good friend of mine, and you know, I'm, he, he was uh, very kind enough to let me use their facilities uh, over the last year, and I'm extremely grateful to him. But I was working with a player there um, who was playing clubs an inch, uh, an inch over standard, hated feeling um, kind of flex in the shaft, and hated feeling mm-hmm. heavy. But the way in which he was always getting fitted was, you know, uh, an inch over over length. And to get the feeling of the weight down um, or the, the swing weight down, they would always go into a light shaft, which then started to flex a little bit more, if that makes sense. So he was always in yep. a pr- bit of a predicament just around his length. So what I suggested to him is let's go into something a little bit heavier 
and kind of counterbalance the the the, the club. So I put a twenty a twenty yeah. gram counterbalance uh, in the in the butt end of the club. Uh, it brought the swing weight down by um, I think four or five, and he was he was using a club which was one hundred and twenty grams swing weight in it. I think it was D one, uh, and his yeah. previous sets were like D six, and it, it just made a terrific dis, uh, difference to the way you strike in the ball. And also to the feel, and you know the the way you could man- then manipulate the face, you know, and you know play different shots, shape the shots, left to right, right to left, um, knock it down, knock it, you know, hit it up in the air a little bit more. So you know, you using those options uh, has been really good. But that's another instance there where kind of you know heavy swing weights, heavier shafts, kind of just didn't really work for that player. Any, yeah. any I think anybody who struggles. Let's just say dropping the club on the inside a little bit too much, or getting stuck, so to speak, and mm. testing something which is a little bit lighter in the head uh, might not be a bad a bad option, uh, but it's not going to work for everyone. Could be. I think you got to be. So you, de- you definitely don't see any commonalities when when you're fitting. There's not nothing that you've seen as a pretty regular occurrence. Um. No, not really. Not really. <laughs> I've seen that happen. So when- I've seen that happen quite a quite a few times, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably not enough for me to say. Oh, that always happens, you know. If yeah, um, no, absolutely. It's you just got to be so open-minded when you're fitting golf clubs, you know, and not not be afraid to kind of you know push the limits, push the boundaries on the way a club is um, is built, and you know the the setup of the club. I think um, yeah, just being open-minded is is a really good good way to approach a fitting. Yeah, and I think that I think that's really really key. That the same as as you said earlier, it's the same within coaching. Yeah, absolutely. If that, you, there's not one drill that is always going to fix a slice. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's the same, I'm sure, with custom fitting. It doesn't matter how you fix; it's not going to do it for everybody. So yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And like I said, it's pu- pu- pushing the limits and, and not even going beyond the limits to kind of find out what the limit is. You know. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. And then, what would you do with regards to? So, you get someone hitting balls, you give them a first option. Do you normally go at the lighter end of shafts and then weight up, or do you go in the middle and then are you asking questions off of that? Which way do you go? Um, it depends. Yeah, it it, re- it really depends. It depends on um the some of the other sets as well. So, I mean. If if you're looking at someone who's using, let's just say, um, a Nippon 950 or an 850, which is a fairly light uh, steel shaft, and they're using dynamic gold in their wedges, which would be you know way way heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there was a pattern there where they were really good with their wedges, not so good with their irons, then I would definitely go heavier. So it, it's one of those ones where I would say it depends. But yeah. I, I wouldn't be afraid to try both sides of it either. Okay. Because and I, and I think that's important, you know, to try both sides just to find out kind of you know where where that player, uh, where the sweet spot is really, you know, what what that player responds well to. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then, do you then? So when in in the process, are you going? Um, let's go uh, shaft first, and then you do length, lie, loft. Which which way round does it go? Um, probably length first. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure that the, when the player is testing something, he's testing it in the right length. Um, then I would say once you've established the length, and I don't, I don't think it's very difficult to get the length for a player, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've got that length, I think the most important thing then is weight and trying to establish the weight of the shaft. It's, uh, I, I think it's more important than flex. It's more important than torque. It's um, you know more important than the shaft profile. I think establishing the correct weight for a player is absolutely crucial. Um, and and I, I don't I don't know you know how many other fitters you've had on you before, um, whether they would say the same thing or not. But from my perspective, I think once you find the weight of the shaft, the rest of the process um, is is a lot easier. And then what? what so you do um, length, weight. And then are you into lie, lies or? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you when when you're trying to, you you would always try and get a player testing something, you know, where the lie is pretty close to what they need anyway. 
So, I mean, you know, doing the lie angle last is, is probably not a good option. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, I guess to a degree, you're probably trying to do quite a few things at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, you know, making sure that what they're testing looks half decent so they're not sitting there, you know, or hitting something where the toe is, you know, four degrees up in the air. Yeah. And you're just not getting any feedback then from the shaft, you know. Um, so as long as the lie is there or thereabouts um, and, you know, you can get the shaft done, get the head choice done. Um, yeah, but, but but the whole process is not rigid either. You know, it would change from player to player. Some players, as an example, are quite, especially good players, they're quite strict on the type of shaft they use. Mm-hmm. So your, your only options then are, you know, using the head um, yep. to, to change the variables. Um, other, other players, the other way around where, you know, they, they might look like the look of a certain profile head, whether it's a blade head or whether it's a cavity back or something which is a bit more offset. And, you know, that can govern the way that you, you know, you, you kind of go through the session, I guess, um, where you're trying to use the shaft then to change, change some of the numbers or change the feel um, and change the performance. So, um, I don't really use a blueprint, um, so to speak. I would kind of vary it depending on the player. Yeah. But um, I think the biggest thing which I, I could offer as advice to, to any club fitters um, or even any coaches, you know, if they're looking to, to maybe throw a few different options at some of their clients is, you know, weight makes a big, big difference in the shaft um, in the on performance. It's really interesting that the way, one of the things you just said there was that dependent on the person you've got in front of them, will almost mm. dictate the way that you perform the fitting. Yeah. You know, some guys, I'm sure you go into real depth on flex, weight, profiles and bits and pieces because that's what they like. And then some guys yeah. just want to get in there and get it done and get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I've got a guy, right, um, one of my clients uh, that he's, I think he's a four handicapper. And he is completely and utterly obsessed by shafts. <laughs> and on honestly, right? And, and it's it's absolutely no good for him whatsoever. Yeah. Um, because he, he's he's buying shafts all the time from eBay, um, you know. And they're they're not just you know shafts which are very similar weight, you know, in um, a very similar flex. These things, you know, one minute he's gonna have like a sixty gram. Diamana blue board from you know 1997 that he wants to try. Yeah. Then he's then he's ordering a 500 quid uh, TPT shaft um, <laughs> that he wants to try, which is a 70 gram shaft, you know. And he's just all over the shop, and it, it's just yeah. But but he, he he won't change the head. He he loves he loves the head. He's got like an old Callaway FT3 yeah. uh, driver, loves it, um, and he's just looking to change the shaft to change the performance and. I just say to him all the time, you're just wasting your time. <laughs> Literally wasting your time. It's not difficult to fit a driver, but you are making it very difficult. Well, <laughs> so then, um, um, so obviously you do irons, um, wedges. So if um, do you do the fitting for wedges indoors or outdoors? Um, uh, outdoors, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, there is an element of wedge fitting you can do indoors, I guess. Yeah. Um, when it comes to just gapping, perhaps, mm-hmm. but yeah, outdoors one hundred percent. And you know, a wedge fitting takes a couple of hours uh, at least. Yeah. You know, when when you you're looking at a player who's using maybe three or four different wedges, uh, they'll use them from different situations, from bunkers, chipping, pitching, full shots. You know, it, it, it takes quite a long time to kind of assess the way in which they're using those wedges, and you know, then the testing process on top. You know testing all of those different shots from different situations. Um, I actually really, really like fitting wedges. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's something which I enjoy a lot. Um, I'd done a fitting the other day for another Welsh international that came down and we spent probably three hours, you know, fitting his wedges. You order them up. We'd done a bit of grinding on the wedges, you know, and they're, they're, they're spot on. Yeah, um, no, actually, I, do you do your own grinds? Is that where you find your engineering and working uh you know, for working for TaylorMade, that that comes into use. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like even you know, grinding you know with the grain of the metal kind of thing. You know, so you're not creating a um, you know a poor finish and then using all the different you know the belts to get a nicer finish. That's something which you know I'd done way way before I started 
working in the golf industry, you know, yeah. in the engineering uh, apprenticeship. You know, I, I would never get good marks um, for handing in a product um, that you built from scratch with a really poor finish on it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it definitely, definitely comes in handy. And putting as well? I haven't done much putting, yeah. if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I, I don't enjoy it, but out of all, out of all of them, um, I probably find putting the least enjoyable. Okay, you know, just standing there watching someone, you know, hitting a putt really slowly, you know, and there's kind of it's just not very exciting, is it, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's just, just, it's just not, interesting because I've had a couple of guys yeah. on who, who who do fit putting and it, that's their thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, was just um, and I, I was wondering I, if I, it was your thing as well. <laughs> no, not 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 at the moment. If I'm not being honest, and, and, no, and you know when when the studio comes, uh, it's it's being built. Uh, I will be ready for March the first. I'm probably going to end up getting like a Quintic system and a Sam Sam Putt Lab, and I will yeah. be doing putter fitting definitely. There's a market for it. I'm going to be doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying I don't enjoy it, but out of the, you know, all the other options with irons, wedges, uh, drivers, fairway woods, probably putting is the one that I enjoy the least. Um, so I've not, I've not really spent that much money on any launch monitors or loft and lie machines to, to do it really. Yeah. <laughs> so, go, so, sorry. Yeah. Right. So, uh, apart from Ashburn and being your favorite golf course, if you had the opportunity to play, um, a fantasy four ball with anyone alive or dead around any golf course, where would it be and who with? Um, probably the first golf course that I ever played where I was brought up my state golf golf club. Yeah. Um, and I know that might sound really weird, no. but um, a lot of people would say Augusta or yeah. you know Pebble Beach or something like that. But um, that golf club has you know meant so much to me over the years, and you know they've uh, they've they've been really really nice to me when I was the head pro there, and you know when I was a junior member there playing for the team. It's not the the most brilliant golf course in the world. Um, and if you were coming to Wales to play a golf course, Duncan, you wanted to enjoy your golf, probably wouldn't take you there. Okay, um, but. You know, for for me personally, that's a golf course which means a lot to me. And I, I would, if I had one more round of golf, I would be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I'd probably play golf. Oh, definitely two of my mates who I started playing golf with. Cool. Um, and who else would I like to play with? Got to be Tiger, isn't it? Got to be Tiger. So you playing with him or against him, though? Oh, I'd want to play against him. Okay, definitely. Yeah, play against him. And have you, but you know, have you fit in the? Have you fit in for the set of clubs before you go out? <laughs> uh, well, I'd, pr- I'd probably try and change the change the loft and lies and put them all over the shop, <laughs> uh, just to just to give myself half a chance. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where I would be, I guess. Excellent. If any advice for you've given loads of really good information and uh, advice I've heard coming through about. You know, putting yourself out there, trying to respond to emails, taking time to to be with people, helping people through the process, um, not being worried about telling someone, actually, you don't need a new driver, you need a new backswing. Um, yeah, <laughs> that that type of thing. Any any advice for people who were thinking of either getting into custom fitting or professional golf? Any advice on where they should be looking, either journals or books they should read? I know you weren't big into ac- academic stuff, but what what advice would you give to the to the young people out there? Um, I think you know anybody who wants to get into golf, um, if they're not already in golf, uh, you know the PGA training is definitely the place they've got to start, mm-hmm. uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, I know the PGA gets a bit of a, a bit of a slamming, you know, yeah. in, in terms of you know the the education and you know the the education program. But f- for me, you know, I, I thought I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, it it definitely scratches the surface on a, on a lot of different subjects. Uh, it doesn't really go into depth. I don't think a huge amount on one particular one. Yeah. Um, that might be different now. I mean, I done my PGA training ten years ago, but. Uh, yeah, PJ training first, and then you know if you do decide from there that you want to be a a good club fitter, I think knowledge on launch monitors and uh, you know numbers on TrackMan, GC2, Flight Scope, you know understanding all of those numbers, I think is absolutely crucial. 
because you know number one the, the information is out there you can go onto the trackman website on trackman university you know i'm sure there's loads and loads of blogs online which you can read um there's loads of videos youtube videos you know james lights uh, yeah there's all, all sorts of different ones that i've learned from in the past um you know your, your customers have got access to them too yeah no absolutely <laughs> that's the thing and there's a there's a lot of customers out there who you know will know this stuff so i think if you're in a situation where you know you can learn about something i i, th I think you definitely should you know be taking the time and you know, listening to these videos, learning about, even from a, a coach, a fitting perspective, you know, understanding the difference between club path uh, and uh, swing direction, yep. as an example. Yep. Uh, you know, understanding about club path, face to path, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, just, just really understanding those numbers and then doing as much research as you possibly can on product knowledge. Um, and when you've got a little bit of a background in coaching, doing the PGA training, you understand trackman numbers, GC2 numbers, uh, you know, you understand ball flight laws and you understand the product. As long as you can actually talk to people, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're in a pretty good situation there, I think, to start um, fitting. Uh, yeah. Perfect. And then anyone you want to give a shout out to, uh, Tom, anyone that you feel has really helped you with your career and uh, got you kind of where you are today? Um. Uh, like I said already, Emmanuel had a big influence on my career, uh, I would say. Uh, Frederick Tuxen from, uh, from Trackman. Um, I used to pester the life out of him uh, when, I was, when I was working there, you know, with all sorts of different emails, questions, just trying to, you know, just sap as much knowledge out of him as possible. Um, I don't think I ever asked him a question he didn't know the answer to. Okay. Um, and that was, that was pretty awesome. But kind of locally, probably the one who's helped me the most in my career would be um, one of my mates, Gareth. Uh, Gareth Lewis, uh, who I've mentioned already, the head pro at um, Harlech. Yeah. I've been very friendly with him for a long time. Uh, any kind of career advice that I, that I need, um, I've always kind of gone to him as a bit of a sounding board. Um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's always been there for me and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, yeah, he's helped me a lot. Um, Outside of that, probably uh, my mum for arguing with my dad um, <laughs> and letting him, let me him start a career in golf, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah that's pro probably probably about it. Um, if I've missed anyone who's really given me a lot of help, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that's cool. Tom, give us a shout out of all your um, social media handles so people can know where to find you. Uh, yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, the Tofit Golf on Facebook. You just type that in, you'll be able to find the page. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, my handle is Tofit Golf 59. Um, I am going to be more active on there uh, over the next coming months now, especially when the studio is built and I've actually got a really, really good product to start to sell. I'm um, going to create some uh, CPD days as well. Uh, I want to run a Brilliant. few seminars. So if anybody's interested in attending or even hosting a seminar, uh, don't be afraid to drop me a message on Instagram, Twitter, um, and you know I'll, I'll, I'll get you on the list for, for when something is organized. Fantastic. Tom, from yeah. me, thanks ever so much for coming on. I know you're a really, really busy guy, and you've given a load of information. And obviously, going forward, you're going to be, sound as though you're going to be really, really busy. I want to just say as well, completely well done for someone who couldn't swim a length of a pool to end up doing an iron man i think it's an <laughs> unbelievable achievement unbelievable oh uh, yeah yeah that's that's definitely a big one for me i tell you um i mean it's just i just think that's a phenomenal effort to do something on top of already having a busy schedule and a busy life to take on a challenge like that is just phenomenal so just a huge well done from me yeah thank you thank you i really appreciate it that was uh yeah, some people just think I'm mental, but yeah. Well, I, I do. Enjoy, enjoy, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> I, I, are, you, are you a swimmer, Dan? I was. Have you got a background in swimming? I was, a, oh, I, was you? A, I was a pretty decent swimmer up until the age of 14. Um, okay. And then didn't do it for 20 years and then picked it up pretty quick. I probably swim yeah. a couple of times a week now and, you know, do 80, 100 lengths or whatever it is. But uh, it's... Yeah, I hate, I hate guys like you because <laughs> uh, I, I, I do, right? I've, I've, got, I've got a mate... Um, who I've known for a while, he'd done, he'd done the Ironman event with me uh, in September. And I'm not kidding you, right? I, I've probably done, oh, I don't even know, 
oh, probably over a hundred sessions, had loads of lessons on swimming, just to try and get in a position where I can complete this swim. Yeah. This guy, you know, he had done three training sessions before the Ironman. You know, maybe a few more, but like something stupid, you know. Um, and he's got he's gone around the the two point four mile course in like fifty three minutes. Wow. Um, I, I spent like hours and hours and hours and hours training for it, and I got around in like one oh six, which wasn't bad for me. That's really but good. Yeah, it makes such a big difference, doesn't it? Swimming when you when you've got a background, it's um, yeah, phenomenal. I've got my mum and dad to thank for that one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> class excellent Tom thanks ever so much for coming on mate and I look forward to catching up with you soon yeah thanks Doug. I'm really grateful and uh, good to speak to you excellent you take care you too take it easy bye